Let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're in Isaiah 55 this morning. And so if you're visiting with us, we've been in a series in Isaiah for a while, for a time, and we come to Isaiah 55. Oh, what a good chapter. What a good chapter. We're going to see how I do on it. You let me know. You let me know. Because Isaiah is just so, well, the whole book is rich, but Isaiah 55, oh, it's a, it's a high point. And where we're headed this morning is really verse 12. So keep an eye out for verse 12, because I want you to go out in joy and be led forth in peace. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. So Isaiah 55, hear God's word. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food, incline your ear, and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we pray, help us. We want to experience joy and peace as your people, so show us how. Lead us by your Spirit. Transform us, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. A couple of years ago, a company created these digital images that use the blockchain, whatever that is, and they call them NFTs. These are non-fungible tokens. 
These are unique digital images, and they were pictures of apes dressed in various yacht attire. They called it the Bored Ape Yacht Club, and they created these images that were unique, and you could buy one of these images. Now, to buy one of these images, you have to kind of like taking stacks of money and throwing it into a wood chipper, as it turned out. You know, a wood chipper, you put the branch in, and it makes that noise, and then out spews the other side the pieces. Because what happened is people bought these Bored Ape Yacht Club images, NFTs, and they just went down in value incredibly. How much so? Well, 97% loss. Justin Bieber bought one of these Bored Ape Yacht Club images for $1.3 million. It can be yours for $30,000. That's roughly a 97% loss. And it makes you wonder, now, obviously, some Justin Bieber can put money in a wood chipper all day long and he'll be fine. But not so much for some of us, for most of us. And the question here is, if you look in verse 1, The question is, why, well, really, verse 2, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you take the resources that God entrusts us with, our time, our talent, and treasure, and why do we spend them on things that are not life-giving? It's really a question of stewardship. It's a question that we can understand being consumers in a consumer society. What parent has not told their kid, why did you buy that? What spouse has not at one time told the other spouse? Did we really need that? And so understand that God has invested in all of us spiritual resources. Think of the wonder and treasure of His grace. We have these resources, so how are we spending them? That's the question before us. And what we want to do... What we want to experience is what's mentioned here in verse 12 that I pointed out to you. We want to be those who go out in joy and are led forth in peace. How good does that sound? How do we get there? How do we take what God has invested in us, the treasure of the gospel, the wonder of his word, the value of corporate public worship, meeting together here at the table Christian community, how do we take these things and spend them for that which does give life, for that which does last, for that which matters? And so that's the question. And first, we'll look at spiritual satisfaction. And this is in the first five verses here, spiritual satisfaction. In other words, how do we How are we satisfied spiritually as we're led on the way to joy and peace? And notice here in verse 1 this wonderful invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts. There's two realities there in that verse. One is, look how generous God is to extend this invitation. Certainly the nation of Israel, as we've seen time and time again, did not merit or deserve this wonderful invitation. 
That's the first reality it speaks to, and neither do we deserve that invitation. But God extends it in His mercy and grace. Second reality here, everyone does thirst. Everyone thirsts spiritually and has ideas about how to satisfy this spiritual thirst. So come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. And we recognize here that the things that we need to purchase, as it were, are the very things we don't have the resources for. And yet we're in a situation where God has given us those resources. And so he invites again there in verse 1, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is a free store by God's grace. And so the question, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? There's a tinge here of futility as people spend those resources that God gives them and waste the opportunity to be satisfied spiritually. And so we're told here, we're invited, verse 2, to listen diligently, to eat food that is good, to delight ourselves in rich food, food. And we go back in verse 3 again, listen diligently, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. What's at issue here is if we're going to live spiritually, which is the most important kind of living, it requires us to come to God. And we come to God based on his promise an everlasting covenant, verse 3, my steadfast, sure love for David. And so God is referring here to David, who we know had a heart after God and yet also was a murderer and committed adultery. And so we have something in common with David is this divided heart, and yet what God is able to do is to extend his covenant and his relationship with David is based on him. God's promises, not on David's ability, not on David's merit. And so we see in verse 4 that God has made David a witness, in other words, an example of his gracious extent of the gracious extension of his mercy. So he is an example, a leader and commander for the people's and Verse 5, look how this turns out. This is placing the people of God in a position of power over those who are around them. How does it happen? By virtue of their own merit? No, look at the end of verse 5. Because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. It's God's very action that leads to our spiritual satisfaction where we can experience life. So my question to you is, are you spiritually thirsty? There are many things in this world that will attempt and fail to satisfy your spiritual thirst. And we're told here that we can come to God because of His mercy and grace, and we can experience our thirst being satisfied spiritually because of the wonderful promises of God in his covenant in the example for which we have here 
is through David. You know, sometimes I like to I like to run in the hill country and I like to go down Ammon Road, it's a great road early in the morning when there's no traffic. And sometimes, you know, it's been hot. It's been a little hot lately. And so what I typically do, I have a water bottle, and it's not any ordinary water bottle. It's it's actually a ratty disposable water bottle that I've been reusing for over a year. Did you know you can do that? I know. You, you, you drink the bottled water, and then you just, you refill it on your own. Imagine that. It's good for the earth, too. Okay, so I do wash it occasionally. But what I do is, when I'm running, when I'm headed out, I ditch that bottle somewhere on the side of the road. And usually I, I kind of try to hide it a little bit, because if you saw it, it doesn't have a label. It has my initials on the cap, so my family doesn't grab this thing that's been kicking around in the fridge for a while. And if you saw it, you might pick it up thinking it's litter. And oh, I would be so disappointed if that happened. Because when I'm coming, you know, if it's an out and back, and I drop it on the way out, and I'm coming back, the issue becomes I'm looking forward to that, that satisfaction, having my thirst quenched, and if a hill country do-gooder came along and threw that away, I'd be in trouble. I'd be in trouble. And I tell you that because I think sometimes the ordinary aspect of Christianity doesn't look like much from the outside. From the outside, if you saw that bottle, you would say, that's a ratty old bottle that blew out of the back of a truck. I'm going to throw it away. But it is really how God satisfies our spiritual thirst, and you probably already know this, having walked with God for a time. He satisfies us in very ordinary ways that we might overlook. You know, it doesn't have to be some flashy ministry situation. It can just be, I went to church today and experienced the wonder of the gospel. It could be that I met with God today and I read his word. And in that ordinary way, it satisfied me and got me through the day. And the application for us is to really consider for a moment the eagerness and the expectation with which we enter into these ordinary situations. And this might be a little convicting, and so I might be stepping on your toes, which I try to do every Sunday. But what sense of expectation did you come to church with today? Did you have a sense of expectation, even? Did you look forward to? When I come to church... I try to have this sense of expectation. What are you going to do today, God? How are you going to show up in ways, appreciable ways, that demonstrate your love for me, for your people, to come with that expectation is what we're called to do, to look forward to. God, how are you going to satisfy my thirst 
my spiritual thirst today. So come with that eagerness, come with that expectation, whether you're coming to church and I'm going to do my best, everybody's going to do their best to see that spiritual thirst satisfied by God's grace. Come to your Bible studies with that sense of expectation. Come to your daily devotions, your Bible reading with that sense of expectation every time the so-called ordinary Word of God is opened, to have that expectation that God's Spirit is going to show up. And that's what leads us. So we're talking about, remember, we're talking about here, verse 12, verse 12 being going out in joy, being led forth in peace. How's that going to happen? We're going to be spiritually satisfied through what God has for us, His love, His promises, His gracious invitation to us. And the next point here, I'm going to demonstrate that from verses 6 through 9, is the spiritual submission we should have towards God. So I am using a bad word, and I apologize for that. I try to keep it rated G. I'm using the word submission. I'm thinking about here how God is king, and we aren't. That we are subject, his subjects, subject to his power and his rule. Look in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Remember, there's impending judgment coming for Israel. Impending judgment coming. Now is the time to repent, not later. So that this is a generous invitation. While God may be found, turn to him while he's near. Verse 7, a call to repentance here to returning to the Lord. And it is, the encouragement to return to the Lord is predicated on, it's based on the fact, how will God respond? Verse 7, he may have compassion on him, for he will abundantly pardon. The quality, the value of repentance is really based on the fact of what we receive from God. Compassion, abundant pardon. And here's the part that gets rude. Are you ready? The part that gets rude. We, we like to think a lot of ourselves, don't we? Look at this in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you like being told someone is better than you? Mm. But that's what God is doing here. And he, verses 8 and 9 are really in the context of the wonder of God extending his grace to sinners and God inviting sinners to come to him. We would read that, verses 6 and 7, and scratch our head and say, that's the exact way I wouldn't respond. That's the exact way I wouldn't act. And so we back up and we see the wonder of who God is and His grace, that He doesn't do things our way, that He does things His way, His thoughts higher than ours. Even if we think a lot about ourselves, God still higher for sure. And really, the application here is 
all good Bible study, all good Bible study, you should walk away with a greater appreciation of the gospel and a greater apprehension, both of our own sin and a greater apprehension of the greatness of God. All good Bible studies should lead you to that point where you are in awe at who God is in contrast to who we are. All good Bible studies should lead to that. All study of God's Word, so to speak, should lead that way. And unfortunately, many Christians are stuck in this empirical, intellectual mode. And we think if we know the facts that our heart is transformed. But truly what helps us when we see our own sin and understand something of who we are up against the greatness of God, it brings to us this gospel-fueled humility. And we worship and walk with God all the more and better. All good Bible study leads us to a greater apprehension, greater grasp, in other words, of who we are, who God is. It's not just facts. Look, I have been, I went to seminary twice. I just, I kind of didn't get it the first time. (laughs) And if you don't walk away from Bible study with a sense of who, how great God is, if you just learn facts about God, instead of embrace better the wonder of who God is, I think it misses something. You know, you can learn a lot of facts about the Bible. I mean, there's wonderful archaeology, wonderful history. I'm all for that. Go for it. But somewhere the, the context of the Scripture that we learn about should have an impact on our very heart where we worship better and we walk with God all the more as we gain a greater grasp of his glory. You see where I'm coming from? And listen, I'll be real honest with you. The worst experiences I've had in ministry have been discipline, biblical discipline cases against ministers. Now, would we say there was a lack of intellectual knowledge in those situations? No, we would say there's no lack of knowing the facts. They have the degrees and the credentials. No, there's a lack of transformation over those facts. And so let us as God's people humbly come to this task of Bible study and Christian learning and education and growth with a great degree of humility, walking away every time with a greater sense of our sin and a greater sense of God's mercy that meets us in our deepest need. This is spiritual submission. So if we're going to have joy and peace, we're going to need to submit to the one whose thoughts are not our thoughts. His, his thoughts higher than ours, his, his ways higher than ours. And the last point here is spiritual success. Spiritual success. Success is a dicey word anytime you use it in the context of ministry, right? 
But success here, and that's, that's look in verse 11, shall succeed is what we read at the end of verse 11. So the, the outline here corresponds to the success, and the way I define success is God getting his way, not us getting our way. God getting his way. Now look at verse 11. So shall my word be. It's a comparison that just like what happens in verse 10, the rain and the snow comes down and it yields fruit, doesn't it? So God's word going out is life-giving. It is the provision of God's word which causes the seed to grow, so to speak. And what we see here in verse 11 is God's word is going to go out and it will not return empty. In other words, it's going to successfully accomplish that which God has purposed. God's purpose cannot be thwarted by the depth of our sin or other people's sin or even sin against us. That is a significant thing we need to embrace. And look at this. The wonder of knowing God's purpose can never be thwarted in your life or the life of a Christian. What does it cause us to do? Have joy. Verse 12. For you shall go out in joy, and it causes us to have peace. Because what good is it to worry or be anxious about the future unless we know that God's purpose is never going to be thwarted? never going to be upset or prevented from happening. Some people would say, ooh, I don't have a view of God that way. Well, what view of God do you have? Do you have a view of God that we're just sort of cosmically rolling the dice here? Because you're not going to have joy or peace if your God is not big enough, so to speak, to do exactly that which he purposes. And so the purpose of God here affects the created order. And this is somewhat a reversal of the curse, and a, it is a going back to a restored Eden. In other words, God's redemption through Christ accomplishes that which he purposed at first in the garden. Well, what do I mean by that? Look at this. Verse 12, the mountains and the hills are breaking forth into singing. Creation is acknowledging God's greatness, the trees of the field clapping their hands. And instead of thorns, remember the thorns and thistles of Genesis chapter 3, we have the cypress, large tree growing. And instead of briars, the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And so God will indeed accomplish his purposes. God gets the glory through his redemptive action. It is a sign for us showing kingdom success and pointing to the ultimate and future success of God getting his way for our benefit. Now, back in 2012, a gentleman named Jeff Reitz went to Disneyland. So it was uh, January 1st, 2012, he goes to Disneyland. I'm sure he had a good time. He goes to, I'm on shaky ground, aren't I? 
So he goes to Disneyland, and then the next day, January 2nd, 2012, he goes again. And I guess he was on to something, so he went on January 3rd. January 4th, he went again to Disneyland. He was really into it, I guess, into it enough so that he kept going to Disneyland, not just for weeks and months, he went for years. And in fact, from that first visit, January 1st, 2012, he kept going consecutively every day to Disneyland until March 13th, 2020. That's 2,995 consecutive visits to Disneyland. He holds the Guinness Book of World's Records for going consecutively to Disneyland. And he kept going. And here's, here's what he says about his feet. You learn a lot during the time it... <clears throat> excuse me. Here, here's what he said about his record. You learn a lot during the time it takes to achieve such a record, like time management and finances in order to be able to have a life and do more than just one thing. Even to hold a full-time job required me to keep close tabs on the park calendar along with my own to be sure I could make it into Disneyland before they closed or when they had special events. And the news article I read said, Jeff is incredibly proud of his record title and hopes his friends and his family will be too. Now, people can have hobbies. People can have hobbies, and that's fine, and that's part of the wonder of how God created us in his image. But, but what I want to do, I mean, Jeff, he had to be dedicated, didn't he? 2,995 days in a row, and only COVID stopping him when the park shut down. And I think of that, Achievement, achievement in light of Psalm 119, 37. Psalm 119, 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Now, I don't know this gentleman. I'm sure he's a great guy. And maybe I'm picking on him a little bit. And I apologize for that in advance, which I'm doing because I am picking on him. But Psalm 119.37, it's an invitation. It's a prayer. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Think about that for a moment, that there are things that I do in my life and you are doing in your life. And honestly, they might be just like that. Guinness Book of World Records for consecutive visits to Disneyland. They might not be, and sometimes they just flat out, flat out aren't, significant spiritually or significant up against the length of eternity and the brevity of our life here. And we've got to reckon with that. We've got to think about how am I spending my life in the spiritual resources that God has entrusted me 
with. It doesn't mean we can't have hobbies. Go have hobbies. Doesn't mean you can't be involved in politics and other semi-worthless things. But would that we would be 2,995 times dedicated to reading God's Word, to engaging in worship, to being in community with God's people, to meeting together with Him at the table. How much better off would it be for our souls that we would be a people who could go out in joy and be led forth in peace because we are that committed to our own soul care and spiritual good through Christ. And so going out in joy. I hope you got it. I hope you'll be led forth in peace, confident of God's plan and the wonder of His gracious invitation to us to come to Him. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we pray that prayer of Psalm 119.37, turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Would we all enjoy wonderful spiritual life that we would leave this place this morning going out in joy and being led forth in peace, that we would invest ourselves in that which does have value and that which does spiritually satisfy us. So help us and lead us in those ways that we together would know joy and would know peace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.